Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Today's edition is going to be a little bit different. We're going to do a leadership edition. And today we have Ron Brash, senior individual in the community, spoke with him in preparation for a speech that he was tutoring or helping some new speakers prepare for a first time talk. And we connected and just had he had so much great information, I wanted to bring him on. And that's one of the things I like to do as well as help individuals find those opportunities. So Ron's doing the same thing. We have a similar mission, just wanted to bring him on. So Ron, uh, give us a little bit of background about yourself, uh, who you are, what you do, and how you got here. Great. Th thanks, Chris. Uh, so hi, my name is Ron Brash. I'm the VP of Technical Research and Integrations at Adolis Technologies. Um, it's a mouthful, but basically what it means is I like geeky things. Uh, that's that's just who I am. Uh, I've, I've had a very interesting background than others, and I won't I won't uh, halt and hesitate to say that I'm very privileged in my in my career path. And that's part of the reason why I'm here to push forward and pay it forward the advantages that I've had so others can benefit from something that I've innately inherited from my family. Um, so that's kind of just a, in a nutshell why I'm here to do these type of ingredients. Uh, projects. I've worked with Special Olympics. My sister has Down syndrome, and and that's kind of given me another interesting way to communicate with other individuals that are maybe not not a typical uh, societal member. And then I've kind of come from the, the complete side, doing IT-based projects to doing development, to doing contracting, to doing all sorts of things from embedded PCB designs to doing consulting, working with high-level executives. So I've kind of done it all, and I've been the hiree. I've had to fire people. I've had to influence decisions on hiring on certain people and, and also to guide others. So, you know, I'm hoping that this is going to be a really well-rounded conversation and, and I hope it kind of cuts through some of the, the beliefs about what cybersecurity is and, and how hard it is to break into it. It's hard. It can be hard. But I think that if you build a, the right way, you can, you can get through any of these obstacles. So, so thanks, Chris, again. And I, I'm really stoked to be here. Wow, we already have some fans uh, chiming in. I'm ready from uh, Jermaine. We have the whole whole Cyberhuman Initiative saying Ron the Rockstar Brash. Uh, LinkedIn user saying looking forward to this. And I that LinkedIn user, I think it's Jermaine as well. Um, and then we have Alicia saying greetings from London and happy new year to everyone. We haven't quite gotten to New Year's year yet here in the States, but we are looking forward to it. Uh, definitely. And we're looking forward to a great conversation today. So, uh, Ron, when it came to your earlier earlier side of your career, what got you into cybersecurity and what got you to progress? Tell us about your progression along the way. Well, as I said, I was kind of privileged, right? So I won't be, I won't, I won't dodge that bullet. But my mom and dad, they had 286s in some of the earliest computers uh, for their business when they worked for Chevron. And at a young age, I decided to figure out how various things came apart, like record players and to do basic web programming. And at the time, you know, we could get 10 megabytes of internet or of web space from Shaw Cable, which is a very large ISP in Canada. And I managed to make a little website. And then I did one for my parents' next business that they bought as part of their semi-retirement. And I, I built that. And so I was really interested in arts, uh, but arts doesn't pay very well, of course. So that didn't really fit my lifestyle, but I was good at computers. And so um, I got very lucky that my high school had a, a, a community kind of partnership with the local university. And so 
I kind of got brought into a, a two-year program to do, you know, IT, basic web programming, you know, get my, my get my feet wet in a technical diploma. And that's kind of how it all really started. Um, I had a certain lifestyle in mind that I needed to, to pay for. Um, so I couldn't be, you know, living off of biscuits and tea. But I, I started off with a very modest uh, role and, and continuing with my own education, which is quite pricey in Canada, but maybe not as much as the United States. Um, and I kind of started there. And then I started at the bottom uh, and I got very lucky again. Uh, my, my good friend and mentor, Eric Byers, was starting a bleeding edge technology company uh, that was doing the first industrial deep pack inspection firewall. So I started in doing technical testing, supporting the, the VoIP phones. I made a very big mistake once. Um, that did cost us some money on that too. And I will own that one too. I make mistakes just like everybody else. And we can laugh about it, right? That's actually a very good interview question. Do you know what your biggest mistake has ever cost you? And if you've got an answer and you don't say it's something related to your partner, um, which I do hear regularly as a, as a kind of a <laughs> baby boomer crowd. Yeah, my ex was kind of my biggest mistake. Uh, it's a little awkward of, a, of an answer, but usually I probably try to put a dollar amount on these things. Um, we uh, and so I worked with them on all sorts of projects kind of, and then at one point I said, I don't want to be plugging in wires anymore and doing, you know, what I thought was tedious tasks. Uh, so I decided to bridge and do my bachelor's and I was the first person from that technical program to go to university and skip two years of school. So I paved the way for a bunch of follow-up grads from that program and I, I did more embedded stuff. And then my role kind of just changed along. And then I eventually did it, resigned and did a master's, ran my own consultancy in Montreal. Um, and, and you name it, I kind of started off very humbly with all things all over. So it's been, it's been an interesting uh, learning experience in, in the regards of having to break in. Uh, I think I didn't have a problem per se because I'm a very social person. Um, I'm very business aware because of the nature of my business or my family. My family was never shy to talk about things like money, how to talk about dealing with customers, how to treat employees of different, uh, of different ethnicities and origin, or, you know, originations. They never had an issue with these things. We came from a very small town and yes, there, uh, there were certain race, racist, uh, stereotypes and, and prejudices involved in that community, but my family was never, a, was never. Uh, a part of that. And we were always above that. And we hired all those individuals and treated them just the same as you and I. And even when there was a conflict in the community, my, my father always would, would step up to support those individuals um, and their backing. So I come from a very different group that was probably much ahead of its time, I'd like to think. But I'm hoping that we can kind of tease that out and show that my path might not be the same as yours or, or as someone else's today. But maybe there's ways that we can kind of navigate some of those things that maybe rub you the wrong way or, or you're struggling with. Well, let's, uh, let's maybe pick up where you did your master's. So you, you, so you went to do your master's because you were done with the embedded things and done fidgeting with the wires and you started your own consultancy. T talk to us about that because starting a business and doing it on your own, like you mentioned you did a little bit of everything, but what does that mean? Good question. So the thing about entrepreneurship is that it's uh, it's very overrated for them and probably uh, chock full of myths. The first thing of it is, is that being an entrepreneur is often easier than being an employee for someone else. It's not. Um, and when you when if you're a sole proprietor, it's maybe not as bad. So when you're the sole person that's doing the consultancy, because you don't have to worry about employees who are burning your money. Right. So for example, for every dollar I spend with an employee, they need to be busy making revenue on that. And I need to cover the overhead of it. I need to cover their laptop. Basically, it was ha having a family that I needed to constantly keep feeding with work 
in order to generate revenue. Otherwise, they were burning a hole in my pocket. That didn't make sense for me. Um, so there was a cost associated with that, that I think with entrepreneurship and consulting, I had to learn the hard way, mental health. That goes out the window. Um, I was probably not the smartest in the bunch. I did my master's full-time, uh, thesis-based master's, and I ran my consultancy five uh, with five employees locally, and I ran a team of 40 across five time zones. So I never slept. Um, there were some lessons in there that I don't recommend for anyone else, right? If you're going to do a master's full-time, probably do a part-time job and don't try to be an entrepreneur. Not so smart. But it was something that I did, and I learned lots from it. I learned how to do bookkeeping. Never thought I was going to have to learn how to do that. I never thought I was going to have to manage interpersonal communications with employees in the same way. Because when you're doing a smaller group uh, and they're all changing hats, you got to be, and you're maybe you're hiring students, you need to be certain flexible, right? Exams come up. So I had to learn about myself in those regards. I had to learn about boundaries. Um, uh, I've had to have some, I had to learn about firing people. I had some awkward conversations, right? Like that person's like, you know, I'm not really in, I'm, I'm here for the paycheck. Uh, and my heart's not really in this. And I'm like, I know your heart's over there on motorcycles. So you're fired just so, just so that person could go and carry on with their life. And the best part is that person turned their passion into something, which I knew exactly what was going to happen. The same, I did the same for two or three other individuals that worked for me. I fired them just so they, they would actually, or it may not fired per se, but I did fire a few. Um, I pushed them out the door. So I learned, I learned how to help other people from a different type of position than, than a, tra a traditional employer. Um, I learned uh, one of the most important things about entrepreneurship, everyone thinks you can go become one. That's not true. Um, I didn't like it after three or, or about, well, how many years did I do that? Maybe three or four years, I think so. Um, and then Trump came along and long story short, I had to change my business strategy a little bit with cross-border relations at the time. So that was another thing that I didn't expect. But what I, I didn't expect, I think, on entrepreneurship is how much you need to have an established uh, Rolodex or portfolio of previously built solid relationships in order for you to get work. It is extremely hard to solicit new customers when you go into a consultancy and you think you're going to go do this on your own. Um, why would you be any different than someone else? Why would I be any different than someone else? So those were really hard barriers to break. And I got lucky because of the relationships I built uh, prior to my master's and starting that consultancy. And then I had to go build new relationships and work with those, but I needed to have a main source of income. And if you go to do, go jump into cybersecurity as a lone entrepreneur with no background, fresh out of school, I'm not sure that's a winning strategy for 99% of the population. I'm not saying it's not impossible, but I'm just going to say that it's, it's, it's my family likes to joke. It would be the Ukrainian way, right? We like to do things the hard way. Um, as befits my, la my last name, which is brash, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot tougher. So that's kind of in a nutshell, I learned a lot uh, in that regard. And, and I think, uh, oh, that's a great question. Here's a question okay. for the audience. Let me read it out for those that are just listening. When you mentioned firing is hard to do, what approach do you take? Pulling a Band-Aid, fast and done, or slow and empathetic? I think the same could be applied also to interviews. Um, right. Cause sometimes you have to break some very awkward news about that process. And we can talk about that later too, but firing, uh, or letting someone go, uh, it depends, right? If the person is not doing great work because of personal life things, and they've been warned about those type of things repeatedly, uh, you're probably going to take a more subtle approach to it, right? Because you don't know what they're going through necessarily. Although I do have an open door policy, uh, because I've had to deal with my own personal issues. Um, and so I can relate to others. Uh, but it, it depends. 
right? So in some cases, you need to be very empathetic. Some people, based on their personality types, need it hard and straight to them. Um, if you think about psychology, uh, a lot of the times, if a person has narcissistic traits, you might approach them straight on just to try and crack that shell, that, that facade of a, of a self-ego. Um, someone else that's going to internalize that and is struggling with things is not going to handle a, br a brute force approach. However, sometimes if someone does something truly inappropriate, then yes, you got you. There's the door. You change the passwords. It's there's no warnings if and ifs and buts, right? Especially if it's something very brutal. But if it's something that they've seen coming, uh, it's going to be an awkward conversation, and it will be a bit of a band-aid rip. But at least they'll, they'll maybe have foreseen it. So um, I don't advocate for you know uh, an immediate boot to the door, but I do advocate something that at least has some sort of reflection loop on their end, so that at least they can find closure. Because it's not, nothing is ever good in life without some form of closure. I admit that it occurs. There's cases where you don't get closure. But, you know, sometimes it's better to close that chapter of their book and, and let them move on to the next novel. Okay. So very dynamic leadership. Love it. Um, you last mentioned that there are changes in the economy uh, due to the, the election in the States. You had to change up your business approach. Uh, what? How does your career continue from there? That's a great one. So I went and did something that I never thought I would do. I would become a consultant for a big four. Uh, that was not something that was in my card. So what happened was, is with my consultancy under NAFTA agreements, uh, I was able to get transfer income across the, the United States to Canada border much easier. The problem is when Trump was elected, there was this big talk about getting rid of NAFTA. And this big internationally traded IPO industrial company got a little iffy about giving Canadian firms uh, large contracts. And I un understandably why, because they were like, well, either join one of our subsidiaries and sell your business or we're just done. So I said, too bad, so sad. But I, I love, thought back on what my business was. And this is also a key thing about when you should change steps in your career or close down a startup. I, I wrote down everything that I want. I thought I tried to remember everything that I I. I went to set out to do uh, when I started my consultancy. So I had, I wanted to go learn this. I wanted to hire people. I wanted to go uh, have a certain salary, do all these things. Cool. So when it came down to when Trump was elected and my business wasn't going to be viable anymore, I, I literally left my emotions at the door because you shouldn't have emotions in business per se. I left them at the door and I said, I did all these things. Is it great that I have to, you know, leave my, leave my baby? No, that's not okay. But next chapter. So what I did was I called up a few friends that I'd known actually through uh, one of the engagements that I ran through my consultancy at, at Deloitte. And uh, for right or wrong, I got fast tracked. And guess what? Um, I was took I took on a, a much higher role than what I was being paid for in a consultancy firm. And I got exposed to a whole new set of dynamics. Uh, I never thought I'd become great at public speaking. I never thought I would be great at doing PowerPoints. I never thought I'd have to deal with Excel all the time or have to deal with, with uh, customers. And we can go talk about what consultancy is and is not as well. That's something that should be discussed too. Um, you should talk about the, the image that employers might offer you in this part of the HR process that is not reality, especially when you have to go on job sites. So it, it, that was kind of my transition. I went into something again as a new chapter to work on a whole new set of tools and problems. And uh, I've, I've since left that again. And then I left another thing again afterwards. But I learned everything I could. And I tried to set out as many goals and met great people. I met some not so great people. And I continued that path. So that's 
that's kind of my way of just reflecting. I keep a rolling loop. Great. Today's a great day. It's New Year's. So I keep a, a rolling list of New Year's resolutions throughout the year and I adjust it and some aren't possible. Like I had a big list of things I could, I wanted to travel and go see. Not possible today. Okay. Those just get deferred for the next year, but I have these other things I can go do. And so my, my career is the same way. I, I keep pushing forward that way, trying to enhance, even if it's not directly related to the original role that I was looking to do, but maybe it's adjacent or it's related to another domain of knowledge that I can relate to something that I've accomplished or my family's accomplished. So I, I find other ways to keep myself busy and interested. And that's also crucial. Uh, you, you mentioned this running list. How do you create that list for your career, for yourself? And how do you prioritize that list if it's that long? Good question. Um, my resume doesn't fit on one page either. So making lists is usually <laughs> a little a little obtuse. Uh, I start with a Google Doc. Um, that's kind of my simplest place. And I start with uh, or at least on my running list of New Year's resolutions, personally, is a bit different. But I start off with what I need and what I want and what I require uh, or what I would like, per se. So what I would require is the, the core essence, my, my quintessence of what, what I want in that thing. So in the next three months or maybe today, three months, six months, one year, and maybe even potentially thinking a little bit longer, I break it into these categories. So one is for my career, what do I need in terms of uh, work environment, for example? Okay, I need healthcare benefits. I need, uh, I need to go to at least one conference this year. I need to uh, submit papers. You know, so I'm so very, those are very core things for me because I like working with people uh, and sharing knowledge because what good does knowledge do if it stays in a closet? Uh, then I have other things like on my list about um, exp expansion in my career. What do I have in terms of building teams? Uh, what do I have in terms of writing code, uh, pushing vulnerabilities? Those are all things that in there that I just break down into core things. Okay, this year I need to go learn another programming language. Okay, well, that's on my to-do list. So to do that, what do I need to do? Sign up for a Udemy course. Go look at YouTube videos. Do those things. And actually, as I go through those things on the list, I don't remove them out of the list. I just put the cross through it. And if it's really important, I'll do like a times two. I've done like two of that this year and it goes in bold. And so at the end of the year, you wind up with this big list of things you have done, even if they weren't related to what you set out to do on January 1st kind of thing with your resolutions. So you can look back and say, I didn't think I did that much this year. But when you look at your list, it surely shows you did. And therefore, you should feel very proud about yourself. There was some light at the end of the tunnel and you accomplished that. Nice. That, that's, that's great to do as well for your your own work um at, at an employer so that's definitely mm -hmm. something that you can use as well uh question from the audience you mentioned resume cv what are your thoughts from removing them from the equation and can personal branding be the way forward okay i will tackle that slightly in reverse um every person <laughs> needs to have a personal brand and a cv is potentially a way to communicate that narrative uh, let's imagine you're just breaking into your career. You either did a bachelor's or a diploma or a certificate, something that is very focused on cybersecurity per se. Well, the problem is, is that you, you come from a large graduate class. Let's say it's, I don't know, 50, 100 students. And chances are in the next town or city over, there's almost a, a duplicate of that same degree, more or less, or that course. The problem then becomes you can list everything on those things but everyone's going to look almost the same. And they probably did the same, got the same resume template. They probably downloaded it from office, right? It's all, they're all going to look the same. 
in that type of situation, yes, resumes should be chucked up the door. Uh, but it all comes back to that brand. So I had a, a good conversation with a young, young person. He's like, I can't, I don't know why I can't get a job. I've done interviews. I'm like, okay, let's start with that. Why can't you, you think that they're going well? Well, the reason why they weren't is that his resume was a incomplete, but B his, his brand and narrative was also insufficient for the person and the quality and caliber that he was. This individual, of course, uh, wasn't a, a white privileged male like me, so we can, we can get rid of that elephant out of the room. But this individual had an uh, awesome talent of, guess what, hacking Nintendo games and their save games so and selling them on eBay and rooting them. That was nowhere in his resume. Nowhere. He wanted to go do, uh, maybe not embedded stuff, but to be, look around vulnerability research and, and doing things. And he... Hacking Nintendo games is a very niche audience that would have immediately set him apart from the 100, 200, 1,000 nearly identical applicants because he had a unique story. But he also had a unique story of why he did that. He did that, A, he needed revenue to pay for his schooling, but also to keep alive, to do things. So he did things out of necessity, which A, demonstrates a, a core capability in the individual. He had a quality, which was persevere. And so once he was able to capture all of that and inject that into his into his resume, he messaged me almost by the end of the next week of after that discussion um, saying, I got a second interview. And I and then right after he did the second interview, he messaged me again and said, I think I got it. And, and he did get it. So I think just helping people build up the confidence to go in and to interview and to say, no, that's nonsense. That role that you're positioning me for is, is not the one I signed up for or you know, you're asking me questions that don't jive with me or, or just I'm here as a person, right? Like some people will just list out their technical pieces as part of their brand. Cool. But you need to remember at the end of the day that depending on which audience you are, your team also has other things. If they all like playing soccer, well, you might want to make sure that you highlight that you play sports. Um, so they have something to communicate with you as a, as a person, uh, not just to have technical uh, bonds. Those are all pieces that need to be captured in a person's brand, somewhat in a resume. And then together you bring that forward to the interview. And I think an interview is not just as much of an interview as me, the employer, interviewing you as the interviewee, but also vice versa. It's your chance to interview me about the potential position, whether or not you want to even work with me is another thing altogether. I'm not sure everyone does. So it's a very mutual uh, situation that, that that's brunt. Um, I like to tell people, I give them like the first five minutes, for example, as part of their brand, just to tell me how great the company is and why they want to work there. And then I just say like, great, let's cut past the, the nonsense and tell me really why you're here. What interests you? Well, if you say I need a job because, and I'm going to show up every day and I, and I have a goal after this, I'm probably good. I will accept that answer. Don't be shy about it. Um, the last thing I want to hear is someone just looking for a job because they need a visa great, you need a job because you need a visa, but I'm looking for passion. I'm looking for someone that's going to think, um, that wants to be there, part of the team. So again, branding, branding and, and catering to the audience that you're looking for is going to be crucial. There's not one to make them all. You should have several CVs, potentially several different personal brands. How I talk to a developer or a researcher is very different than how do I talk to an executive. So you will see core elements of me. Uh, I'm not schizophrenic, but you will see core core elements of me change based on which faucet an audience that I'm speaking to. And you can see it at conferences when I'm talking to different people all the time, you'll see me change, change hats. So I don't know. I hope that. Helps. The, yeah. When the, the 
I guess, tagline questions is would a, a career portfolio be better than a resume? Because it it's able to capture a lot more. Yes, yes, uh, it captures more. It also gives insights. So you have to be a little careful. Uh, in Canada, the HR rules, I'm not allowed to ask you, for example, are you married? I think this is true in the United States and definitely in Europe. I'm not allowed to ask if you're married or have kids and stuff like that. But if I see a major career shift, if you went from security guard to uh, to going to school again, that usually implies to me that you actually had things that you had to be that you had to manage. Having a mortgage, you had to be responsible for. Maybe you you got married and had kids. So I already have a I already you've already opened up the point for you to tell me about how you manage your responsibilities. Crucial. Um, I think that the portfolio piece also gives other ideas. So I'll give you a great example. Um, my partner, she she comes, she works for a large bank here in Canada, and she's doing architecture and, and helping retrofit all the banks. And she went to school for business. She's trying to go into cyber. Um, I'm not going to go find her a job um, because I wanted her to have that independence. But one of the things she's struggling with is helping people understand what she's learned in architecture is relevant to cybersecurity. You don't build a bank without those considerations anymore or a branch, right? Where do you put the ATMs? How does the wireless work? Do you have reflection or reflective coatings on the windows? Don't put your cable plants in somewhere where someone can get them, blind spots for cameras for tampering, except So she's bringing a whole set of skills to a table that isn't necessarily cybersecurity cyber specific, but indeed cybersecurity benefits from her invaluable contribution. And so if you are a carpenter, you can bring a whole new set of things, right? Okay, well, that door is super easy just to go break the hinge. So maybe maybe pen testing, right? Physical pen test is going to be right up your alley because you know how a, 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 the shim around a door works. You can just put a super bar in it and crack it open. Uh, you might be able to do something else. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's say, for example, you were a medical technician or a radiologist and you want to do cybersecurity. Well, first off, you might not know how that equipment works, but you know the name brands. You know how to read the, the ifs and the buts about that piece of equipment. And maybe you can do vulnerability research on medical devices. It's all about that, again, that brand, that narrative, but tailoring it to something that you understand and also uh, communicating it to a way the audience would understand. That's, that's crucial. Okay. Uh, one of the questions from the audience is, what's your approach for growing new hires and promoting people? And I, I would... I'd twist this this question just a little bit, like not just growing and promoting people, but retaining them. How do you keep them for the long run when you bring them in as juniors? Good question. I like diamonds in the rough. So, you know, to quote Aladdin uh, with the famous Robin Williams, right? He looked, they the genie liked uh, diamonds in the rough, right? That was the whole narrative of that movie with Aladdin. I look for that. I like people that are rough around the edges, people that have been through troubles. Um, I, I also help to try to guide them as part of their career because I do understand that troubles lead to uh, goals and achievements. Um, with if everything was nice and nice and pretty in life, you wouldn't uh, ha be able to handle a calam calamity or a high stressful event. So I look for those things. That's one of the things I use to try to help grow people. The other thing I think that maybe doesn't cater to my management style. I'm a very uh, hands-off manager, right? So this also is something to consideration. When you're, when you're trying to grow as an individual, consider the management style or the person that's working with you. If it's your buddy, uh, like a, a professional colleague that's the, the des designated to help you with your career. Um, be mindful of that. So my management style is I will not spoon feed you. I will not tell you what course you will do, but I will tell you to be responsible for your own career. I will, I will support you on every way. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
I will guide you on those cards. So in terms of promotion and growing individuals, uh, I will want, I will guide, I will actually make you write a list for yourself. I just did that for one of my, my new recently assigned juniors. I said, I want you to keep track on how long it takes you to complete tasks. So he's doing that. Okay. Well, now we know that that task takes you one hour. Okay. So to next time, how can we improve that? And so we've already, we've already started a, a very measured path to help that individual structure what they want in their career. So my path for growing someone is to structure it versus everyone saying, I want everything. Well, no, you can't have everything. I can't be an astronaut because I don't speak five languages. I'm not that great at math. I've had surgeries. Certain realities aren't going to be possible for me, but I can structure how I will do cybersecurity or how you want to do industrial systems. I can guide you on those pieces. But at the end of the day, your growth is dependent on you doing the work. If you don't do the work, you don't get promoted. You don't get the raises. That's on you. I can support you. I will even fight for you to go get a budget for a course. I might not be able to afford a certain very expensive company's courses called SANS, which I think are a ripoff for 10 grand. Great quality courses, but for 10 grand, that's ridiculous. Um, I can't justify that, but I can justify going for a smaller course, $1,000, $1,500. I will go to bat for you, um, but I'm going to hold you accountable for it. And then if you leave and without paying it, well, that's a slightly different discussion. But I'm going to try to retain people through that engagement, helping them. Okay, you want to become a manager? Well, here's here's what unfortunate truth. To get promoted, you need to make room for the person above you to also get promoted. That's an unfortunate truth. So if you want to help me or help yourself, you need to help me do better so I can get the budget and get the ability and responsibilities for you to become a lead. Or And, to, and what does a lead mean? Well, to help you grow, a lead means that you anticipate what I need you help me with my job and potentially others, and you help build the team around you. So setting the expectations is part of growth. Structuring the, the format for that also will then guide you to the promotion part and therefore also guide you to the retaining part. Sometimes organizations, there is no, no way to be promoted, right? Uh, but at least you can ex try to expand that out maybe horizontally and say, okay, I don't know what's an uh, arbitrary example, but before you're doing uh, tech support, right? Well, maybe now your promotion is you actually can take over that whole entire account and also work with the sales part aspect of it. And so that would be how you get your promotion by the expansion of responsibilities and hopefully an expansion of title and compensation. Uh, but that's how I would guide those discussions. Now, right now I'm working in a smaller organization, so some of that won't quite apply, but that's 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 how I would recommend someone. And also for promotions and all stuff, I always tell people to socialize it early. So if you've got a colleague that's assigned to you as a buddy, earlier on is better before performance reviews to talk about that to your buddy because you know that buddy's then going to talk to your manager. Yes, there's no such thing as, as uh, complete trust and silence in organizations. It doesn't exist. Bosses talk to each other. Um, so I will be transparent about that with everyone. I will tell you that I've talked to the boss about you, uh, good and bad. I will even show you your performance evaluations. I will do them with you. I'll screen share it. So before I press submit, that's your last time to either reject and reflect on what's been said. And you know what it is. And so no one's ever coerced you. So that's my management st style, which is hands-off, direct, uh, straightforward. I have an open door policy for mental health as well. Um, we can work on those items together. So that way I can be accommodating and vice versa. They can be accommodating of my issues. That's how I how I manage those things. So again, we went on a bit of a rabbit hole, but there was there's so many different pieces to that equation. Absolutely, and and time just flew by. Normally, we only we, we stop at the bottom of the hour, but I wanted to leave time for the last final question. Uh, if you had to summarize 
your path and your approach into one piece of sage advice for someone following in your footsteps, what would that be? Hang out with the older people that you think might, I mean, be conscientious of the of potential uh, organizational poison, but hang out with the people that have been around. Maybe not necessarily be quiet and, and not offer anything to be had, but be present and be listening. And what you'll find is that the more you listen and the more you do the hard time, even if it's unpaid and it's after hours, people will see it. And if you build up a reputation of being able to learn on your own, be independent and get things done, nothing is going to stop you in your career. Whether you're non-neurotypical, whether you're from a different ethnic background, boy, girl, whatever, it doesn't matter if you can do the time, if you can communicate. So if you, if you can encompass all those uh, really crucial core capabilities in yourself and being able to communicate, right? All those things you're going to, you're going to do well. And that's, that would be whatever it is, but just have a mission and work towards, work towards that mission. <laughs> well, Ron, thank you so much for coming on. We had so many more comments that we, we couldn't touch, but this one today is a half hour episode. Maybe we'll bring you on for a follow on in the future, but really appreciate your insights. Really appreciate everything. Um, for those of you following us on LinkedIn, follow Ron and myself. For those of you following on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and notification button. So the next time we're on, you'll be notified. And for those of you on podcast, feel free to share this with others that are interested in cybersecurity, breaking into the, the industry, whether they are in the industry already or not. Um, we need as many people from as many different backgrounds as possible uh, to, to help solve the complex problems of tomorrow. Everyone, thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you.